0: Love, talk, radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zelmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be chatting with Dr. Robert Stern about repetitive head trauma and CTE. This episode is brought to you by Midwest Functional Virology. Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by Karen and progressive team of functional neurologists who are experienced in treating post-concussion syndrome, chronic pain, whiplash, dizziness, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They've greatly helped me and many others. I'm online at mnfunctionalneurology.com. Hello, everyone. I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not be familiar with who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I'm a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project. And I volunteer on the Brain Injury Association of America's Advisory Council. And I recently released my second book, Embracing the Journey, Moving Forward After Brain Injury. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftdi.com. Today, I'm very excited for my guest. We have Dr. Robert Stern. And Dr. Stern is a professor of neurology, neurosurgery, and anatomy and neurobiology at Boston University School of Medicine, where he is also director of the clinical core of the BU Alzheimer's Disease Center. He is also director of clinical research for the BU Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy, or CTE, Center. A major focus of Dr. Stern's research involves the long-term effects of repetitive brain trauma in athletes, including the neurodegenerative disease, CTE. He has been funded from the NIH and the Department of Defense for his work on developing methods of detecting and diagnosing CTE during life, as well as examining potential genetic and other risk factors for this disease. He is the lead principal investigator for the seven-year multi-center diagnosed CTE research project funded by the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. His other major areas of funded research include the assessment and treatment of Alzheimer's disease, the cognitive effects of chemotherapy in the early thyroid-brain relationship, and driving dementia. He is the B.U. site principal investigator for several clinical trials for the prevention and treatment of Alzheimer's disease. He works frequently in National and International. I am very happy to have you here today.
1: Well, it is a pleasure and honor to be on today. And, Amy, I just want to thank you um, for all of the incredible work you have been doing and continue to do on behalf of individuals who have suffered through traumatic brain injury. Congratulations.
0: Thank you so much. I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to be here today and and talk to our listeners. You know, repetitive brain trauma, repetitive hits to the head is something I think any brain injury survivor, you know, has this deep interest in you know how many hits to the head is too many how many you know what what happens if I get hit again so um, I'm really excited to have this conversation so maybe it would be best to start with how did you come to get involved with
1: the brain in
0: general like how did this whole journey for you start
1: Oh my goodness! We'd fill up three of your, bo- your podcasts. I know. It's whole interesting, <laughs> winding journey. But to me, the brain is the most important, interesting, and fundamental part of the human body and the human existence. It it is the most complex thing in our body. It is what makes us us. And so, uh, there's nothing more important in my mind than to try to do something with my life uh, to help understand that complex brain, but to, more importantly, um, uh, try to prevent and treat uh, disorders and diseases that um, uh, happen to our brains. So it's it's an easy thing. It's the most important thing, and I love it, and it's exciting, and I've been very, very fortunate through the years through a lot of serendipity to uh, get to where I am now.
0: Well, we're so glad that there are folks like you out there who are pioneering all of this research. Um, you know, maybe a good place to start would be just to talk about what is CTE, Chronic Traumatic Encephalopathy. Um, what is it? It's a term we hear a lot, especially now in the NFL. Maybe a really brief overview of what it is and
1: how it happens, or as best as we know how it happens. So let's let's start with a general overview, and then I'd like to go backwards to kind of clarify the differences between what CTE is, what uh, a moderate to severe traumatic brain injury is, and what a concussion is, and then... um, Uh, very importantly, talk about those repetitive, uh, what we call subconcussive impacts that you were referring to. Mm -hmm. So to start with, CTE is not an injury. It's not um, uh, kind of the accumulation of multiple injuries and the worsening of symptoms over um, because you get hit again and then you get hit again. It's actually a neurodegenerative disease. And it's a disease that is very similar to Alzheimer's disease and and other more rare diseases like progressive supranuclear palsy. It's a rare disease, um, uh, but we may find that it is not that rare in the future. But it is a unique disease that is... Um, uh, very similar to Alzheimer's, and by being a neurodegenerative disease, it means that it is a progressive um, destruction of the brain tissue, and as that brain tissue continues to get worse, the person has more and more symptoms and worsening the functioning. So CTE is associated with a history of repetitive head impacts, and by that, we're talking about concussions, or sometimes referred to as mild traumatic brain injuries, and also, and perhaps very importantly, the subconcussive trauma. And that repetitive trauma appears to start a cascade of events in the brain that eventually leads to this progressive destruction of the brain tissue. So it is not prolonged post-concussion syndrome. And it is not due to just those big hits, the ones that we see on the fields where someone gets speared and they are unconscious and they're dazed. It's not just due to having a um, single um, uh, significant traumatic brain injury like a lot of your listeners may have experienced. It is um, seen in people who have never had even a known symptomatic concussion. And that word symptomatic is really important because that's how you diagnose concussion. The concussion has to have symptoms. The person has to have problems that they experience and can be examined on to be called a concussion. And so this disease, CT, seems to start early in life at the time of those repetitive hits, and then this cascade of changes in the brain occurs, and the symptoms may often not begin for years or decades after that repetitive brain trauma, and then it continues to worsen. So it's not due to a single traumatic brain injury. It's not due to three traumatic brain injuries. It is something that seems to be caused by lots of repetitive hits, and those hits I was referring to as sub-concussive trauma. And so, if a concussion or mild traumatic brain injury is defined by having symptoms, a sub-concussive trauma is defined by being a hit to the body or the head that results in a rapid acceleration and deceleration of that brain inside the skull surrounded by spinal fluid, and that rapid change in velocity leads to this stretching and shearing of neurons in the brain, just like what would happen in a concussion. The only difference with subconcussive hits is that, the person does not experience it. The person does not um, have uh, the symptoms, and so they keep on going, and they keep on getting hit. And so if you can think of, as a good example, um, uh, linemen in football, where every play of every single game in every practice, they're hitting their head against their opponent. They don't feel it because they have that big helmet on that makes it so they can't feel anything but their brain is still getting jostled back and forth, back and forth, 1,000, 2,000 times per season. Even little kids. There's been studies of of 8- to 12-year-olds whose helmets were um, fitted with these uh, sensor gizmos that measure the um, amount of force from those hits. And these kids, 8- to 12-year-old football players, Um, also had MRI scans done at the beginning of the season and then again at the end of the season. And they looked at the changes in the MRI scan and looked at the association with those changes, if there were any, with the number of hits the kids got. And even after just one season of youth football, There were changes in the white matter of the brain, actual structural changes that were associated with, directly associated with, the overall amount of impact they had without having any symptoms. So I use that as an example of what subconcussive trauma can do even just after one season of play in kids. And so if you have that type of repetitive trauma over years and years, it seems to start this changes in the brain that leads to uh, an accumulation of an abnormal protein called tau. Under normal circumstances, that tau protein is healthy and it is necessary in every brain cell in our head. But those repetitive hits seems to do something to alter the state of that tau protein. And instead of it doing its job, which is to basically keep the brain cells functioning normally and having a good structure, they fall apart and they start to become toxic and the brain cells die off. And that progressive change in the in the brain due to the tau, bad tau getting more and more widespread. That's what leads to the brain destruction and then the symptoms of CTE. So I've been talking and talking and talking, and I'm sure uh, uh, the audience would like to hear your voice for a second. <laughs>
0: um, so, you know, we talk about those kids 8 to 12 years old and I know there's a big movement for Flag to 14 um, I yep. know Chris, his con- Concussion Legacy Foundation they're they're big proponents of it and you know I, I just I look at, at like Zach Easter was a 24 year old kid that committed suicide um, was found to have stage 3 CTE um, and he had only played high school football he never yeah. played college or pro. And, you know, I mean, it's those so subconcussive. You don't know that they're happening because, like you said, you don't have the symptoms. You don't feel like you got your bell rung. You know, that's the term we hear a lot in football, you know, got your bell rung, um, And I think that's the very deceiving part um, of CTE is it kind of creeps up, so to speak. And, you know, I know there's a lot of concern. It, it comes up in my group a lot. Like, the doctor thinks I have CTE, and it's like, like and, and perhaps they got their brain injury from, say, a car accident or, you know, like they had a more severe brain injury from something. And I just feel sort of irresponsible of a doctor to be saying that to people because, um, yeah,
1: you know, I you probably
0: agree. don't have CTE from a car accident.
1: Yeah. You don't, you don't have CTE from a car accident. You don't have CTE from a single big brain injury. And you don't have CTE from five concussions either. You, we don't really know what amount and type of, of uh, brain trauma is really necessary for the development of CTE. But we do know it's not just a single Big traumatic brain injury, and it's not just a handful of small ones. it really seems to be if you have that stuff, if you have the big injury, only if you also have a history of the the repetitive hits the playing a contact or collision sport, heading in soccer being you know uh, sent against the wall the the um, uh, Sent down to the ice, or sent to the boards in in ice hockey, um, or uh, perhaps having military service where one was exposed mm-hmm. to a lot of um, combatant training or uh, blast trauma, or maybe even someone who has a history of being domestically abused and yeah. his head had been struck violently over and over again. It's that repetitive stuff that is, um, we think, required to develop CTE. We just don't know when or how much or what duration. That's what my research team has been trying to figure out and that's what we're, we're focused on so we can make people understand what the real risks are. You know, people hear in the news Oh, 99% of the brains at the right. CLF brain bank of, of professional football players had CTE after death, or I think it was 95% of former college football players. Those aren't numbers that people can take as um, the real risk. Those are numbers based on uh, a what's called a convenience sample uh, where there's Uh, you know, people whose brains were um, uh, donated for research because maybe they thought something was wrong. But um, those numbers are making people be aware of CTE, but they're also making some people being too scared of having it. Yeah. And like you said, which I find so disturbing, when – doctors jump to the conclusion that someone who has had a brain trauma or someone who's played a collision sport, just because they have some symptoms means they have CTE. Um, I, I know a whole lot about the diagnosis of CTE. Uh, my group and I, uh, under my leadership, created the diagnostic uh, research-based provisional criteria for um, diagnosing the clinical presentation of CTE, but it's called provisional and it's called uh, research-based. There are no real clinically validated diagnostic criteria to help diagnose CTE. And so right now, people shouldn't jump to the conclusion that what they have is CTE. But the other thing is, let's say they may have CTE, and we won't be able to know that for several years now because we don't have um, good, uh, accurate ways of diagnosing it during life. But let's say someone might even have CTE. That is also not a reason to give up hope. CTE doesn't cause suicide. Suicide is a very complex thing that has so many complex, multifaceted causes that um, is so tragic and so common, sadly. People who feel hopeless and desperate and if they think they have CTE, all they need to do really is get to the next day because hope can come back. And the sense of dread and fear for the future doesn't necessarily need to stay around. Or people who um, are feeling out of control and having um, difficulty controlling their, their impulses or their aggression, that doesn't mean they have CTE, but even if they do, there are ways to get help for those types of symptoms. And if people have memory difficulties and are significantly cognitively impaired. They should be seeing a doctor anyways for uh, potential diagnosis and some types of treatment for um, perhaps Alzheimer's disease. The, The real message is we don't know how to diagnose CTE during life right now. We are really working hard to do that, and I think we're going to have ways to diagnose it within five years. And if people have heard stories on TV or read things about it or had read blogs about um, uh, certain types of tests like a PET scan um, that has been uh, touted as being able to be the, the first um, test to diagnose uh, CTE in a living person, those things are not, Validated, They are not approved by the FDA. They have not had other people doing research on it to show that it works. These are really complex things. And so we don't know how to diagnose CTE, and we don't have um, uh, kind of the need. There is no need to feel that it's a death sentence. So you shouldn't be diagnosed with it. And if they are diagnosed with it by someone who actually knows their stuff and says something like, well, you know, I can't think of anything else, and given your history, it may be CTE. Well, if it may be CTE, that's also not a need for despair. It's a reason to seek additional treatment, to seek additional help, to learn more about it, and to understand that there's good, good reason for hope because we're getting so close to being able to diagnose it accurately during life, and at the same time, there are now new treatments being developed for these various tau diseases, like Alzheimer's disease is a tau disease, like progressive supranuclear palsy, like certain types of frontotemporal dementia. Um, uh, A variety of these things that we call tauopathies, there's now new treatments being created and in clinical trials that I am really hopeful for are gonna be able to be used to slow down the progression of CTE in the future. One of our goals is to be able to diagnose it and detect CTE early enough before there's any symptoms, before there's too much brain destruction and then be able to use a new medication that slows the disease down and stops that tau protein from accumulating and destroying the brain tissue, if we can detect it early at that point, use one of those new treatments, then what we'll be able to do is slow it down enough so someone won't ever have any symptoms. So that message really is if someone gives you a diagnosis of C T really check why they're saying it, what their experience and understanding is. Do they really mean it's definitely CT or it's a possibility and there's other possibilities? And no matter what, there's hope for getting good relief from many of the symptoms. Thank you so So much I went on and on and on talking and people (laughs) said, oh, shut up, Stern. No, this is great
0: info and Thank you so much for clarifying so much of that and really pointing out, you know, there is hope. No matter, you know, whether you have CTE or whether you have a severe or mild brain injury, there's hope and you know, I know I had my days definitely that the first two years where it was just like, God, am I ever gonna get better? And you know, and I did. And and there is hope and when I finally got better was when i finally told myself okay you know if this is the best i'm going to get then that's okay i have to you know be okay with that and then that's actually when i started to get better um so you know there there is hope and there's so much research going on it's just phenomenal i know you know like quadrant biosciences and cte hope they're doing a lot of saliva testing and you know, trying to find biomarkers, and and there's research to see like if there's any genetic predispositions to people with concussions or CTE, and I, it's just it's fascinating time to be in this community. I mean, I never expected to be in the TBI community, but here I am, it's, and um, so, you know, there's just so much, much type, going
1: on. You one of the the biggest research Studies. It's not one of the. It is the biggest research study on CTE um, in living people. It is one that I have the great, great honor of being able to lead, along with um, some amazing co-principal investigators: Dr. Cummings from the Cleveland Clinic, and Dr. Ryman from Banner Alzheimer's Institute in Arizona, and um, Dr. Shenton from Harvard. Um, We we have this project called the Diagnose CTE Research Project, and it's funded by um, the National Institute of Neurologic Disorders and Stroke at NIH, and it's a seven-year multi-center study that has as its goals to develop ways of diagnosing CTE during life and to examine the risk factors for CTE, including those head impact exposure variables, what type of head impact, how much, how, when, et cetera, as well as genetics and the interaction of genes and, and the history. And we're doing all that in this seven year period across four different uh, sites where people are being examined um, in Arizona. And Uh, Las Vegas, in New York City, and here in Boston. And this study is for um, uh, the following groups of people. And I'm, I'm telling you this, telling you listeners this, because I want you to pay attention to see if you know anyone who might fit into these categories, because we really want and need people to participate in this research so we can get to the answers quickly. And, um, you know, what we're doing with the research for the the developing uh, ways to diagnose it, we're doing two different PET scans. We're doing an MRI scan. We're doing a lumbar puncture to look at proteins and spinal fluid. We're getting blood draws to look at even ways to test for CT in the blood. And we're doing saliva testing. And we're doing extensive Um, neurologic and cognitive and psychiatric measures. And this whole evaluation takes place over a three-day period where all expenses are paid um, for someone to go to uh, one of those four sites. And so who we are looking for are the following. Um, For this study, it's all men, um, and it is men who... Um, uh, either played in the National Football League, so professionals, um, who are now between the ages of 45 and 74. But it's not just for those pros, it's for the rest of the folks, too. Um, We're looking for people who played college football and who are in that same age group, 45 to 74. And in those college and NFL former players, we're looking for people who have symptoms, And who don't have symptoms, people who feel completely fine or people who even may be diagnosed with dementia. And then we're also looking for, and this is where I hope some of your listeners and their family members or friends will help us. We're looking for um, a control group of men, same age, 45 to 74, who never played contact or collision sports in an organized fashion, and who never had a traumatic brain injury, people who are cognitively healthy, who don't have symptoms. We need those people to step up to the plate to help us get our answers quickly. We only have a year more of recruiting for this study, and we sure would be glad and appreciative of any of you folks listening out there who know anyone who fits into those categories, would get in touch. And uh, here's my this is my little plug. I get to do these little plugs. Um, the way to uh, get in touch um, is by going to our website, which is diagnosecte.com, so www.diagnosecte.com, and um, or uh, you can uh, uh, email um, our recruitment team, and uh, their email address is just uh, is again over here diagnose, which is one word diagnose at bu.edu. So diagnose at bu.edu or, The old-fashioned way, a phone, 617-358-6562. We're getting there. This is the study that will hopefully allow us to come up with ways to diagnose CTE, to be able to detect it early. And so when the treatments are available, coming up soon. We're going to be able to do clinical trials to be able to come up with ways to not only treat the symptoms but to maybe prevent them from happening in the first place.
0: That is fantastic. And if anyone listening, you know, again, if you meet those requirements or if you know someone who meets those requirements, um, what an amazing study to be a part of. So thank you for sharing that. That's, that's really amazing. And, and you said you have a year left in the study, but how
1: soon are you looking for those people? Yeah, So we have a, a year left to recruit the rest of our, our, um, our participants. But the study goes on for another three and a half years um, because the people who come in are seen again three years later to look at longitudinal change. And so, oh, awesome. Uh, so we, we are pretty much halfway through the recruitment of our participant um, group. Um, it's a little more than a year that we're, we're going to continue to recruit. Um, but the more people can contact the team now, we can then try to figure out if they meet our requirements and then hopefully schedule them uh, to start coming in. Um, And then the study will continue uh, for another four or five years. And at that point, um, we'll hopefully have lots and lots of answers. But we're going to have more answers um, even before the end of the full study. We'll have answers when that first group of people have completed their first evaluation. Um, So that's just in... uh, Around a two two years from now we'll have our data analyzed um, to to come up with something at least preliminary
0: that's so awesome, and I'm so thankful for brilliant people like you um, who are just really paving the way in all of this brain stuff and it's like i said it's such an it's such a cool time to be part of this community. Um, So thank you so much for being here. Is there anything that we did not cover that you wanted to make sure we mentioned? I know we covered a lot of ground, um, but was there anything that we missed the talking
1: point? Well, one thing is when you call me brilliant. Um, Fortunately, (laughs) I do have brilliant collaborators and I have amazing staff um, and I have wonderful participants who make it, make the work happen. Um, so uh, that that's who I need to acknowledge because they make me look uh, uh, any, they make me look uh, uh, a little bit smart when um, it's really they who are the smart and, and productive ones um, and I want to thank uh, <laughs> folks like you who are trying to spread the word and, and educate people uh, your listeners may want to also look at concussion Legacy Foundation's website uh, they have a whole lot of information on uh, concussion, post-concussion syndrome, and also now a growing section on CTE resources, um, including uh some new videos of me that I just came yes. out talking about some of these issues but uh I they they are It's funny really I just made
0: that connection as you were talking about it. I was <laughs> like wait, that's you. <laughs> they have
1: they they have so much good material and they they really have great educational information and um uh resources for people um to find out who to who they might be able to go see to or for uh, clinical evaluations, but also just to have people understand what it is. You know, during this podcast, I spoke and spoke and spoke and gave a whole lot of information, but there's no way anyone could um, grasp all of that in one sitting. And um, so go to uh, um, our website for the Diagnosed CTE um, study. Go to... uh, uh, my, my lab's website, which is um, sternneurolab.org, uh, so it's uh, S-T-E-R-N-N-E-U-R-O-L-A-B, sternneurolab.org. Dot, dot uh, and then I think, importantly, the Concussion Legacy Foundation's website, which is concussionfoundation.org, uh, uh, or com, I can't remember. But there's so much information out there.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Stern, for being here. This has just been so incredibly informative. And I just can't thank you enough for taking your time to share your knowledge with our listeners. I really, really appreciate you being here. And just
1: thank you again for all that you are doing
0: for the TBI and CTE communities.
1: It is completely my pleasure. And again, Uh, the thanks have to go to you uh, for um, your advocacy and your passion for this and for um, helping so many others. So thanks for having me.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening. I really hope that you have enjoyed uh, today's episode with Dr. Robert Stern. And again, you can find any of our previous podcasts, at facesoftbi.com you can follow me on instagram and twitter at amy Zelmer. and just another big thank you to our sponsor midwest functional neurology the concussion doctors you can trust in the midwest find them online at mnfunctionalneurology.com thank you all so much for listening thank you for being a part of my journey and i will see you all again next time have a great day everyone